passage um, is from Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, and it's found in the Church Bible, page 914 and 915. So Joel 2, 28 to 32. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and, and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance. And the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. This is God's word. Thank you, Helen, uh, for reading. Uh, and if you're new, um, and not in the building, but listening on the recording, or if you're visiting uh, this evening, as John said, we're working through the book of the prophet Joel, coming this evening to the close of chapter two. And you'll have noticed, as Helen read, as if you look down in your Bible, that the first words of the passage tonight are, and afterwards. And so it's clear that sometime uh, will pass between what God has promised in Joel chapter 2 up to now and what he promises in our passage tonight. So before we get into the text, I think it's important to get the context uh, clear up front. And so if you weren't here for the last few weeks, here's a quick recap. And for those who were, you'll have seen and heard with Andrew how in chapter 1 there was a terrible invasion of locusts which ravaged everything and destroyed uh, the, the crops and the livelihood uh, of the Israelites. And the elders and the priests, as a result of that, were called by Joel to mourn and to fast and to call out to God for his mercy. But it turned out that this disaster heralded an even more dreadful day, as we read in chapter 2. Let me just read uh, a couple of the verses, verse 1 and verse 11. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. And verse 11, the day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? So the day of the Lord is coming, a great and dreadful day, and who can endure it? But after this warning, God commanded his people through Joel to return to him with all their hearts, as we read in chapter, in verse 13 of chapter 2. And we learn that the Lord was jealous for his land and he took pity on his people because they did turn uh, back to him in verse 18. And so he promised that the land would be restored and that blessings would flow even greater than the blessings they'd known before. All would be well physically and they would know their God. God promised them that you will know your God 
and you will know that there is no other, as we read in verse 27. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord, your God, and that there is no other. And that was what we learned so far. But to you and I, sitting here this evening, there's a problem, isn't there? Because why is it that the Israelites now aren't rejoicing in the Lord in this great news? How is it that their enemies, far from being turned back, are still fighting them? Yes, we see all of the physical blessings all around them in the land of Israel and all around us here in the UK. But where is God in that? God had promised in chapter 2 up to now to keep them anchored So did we miss something, or did they miss something? And we've heard this story before, haven't we? And it didn't turn out so well. Noah listened to God, but the rest of the population scoffed and were destroyed in the flood. The Egyptians saw God send all of the plagues, but they ignored the words of Moses and the signs of God, and their firstborn were all struck down. The Israelites themselves were rescued out of Egypt, but they too turned away and worshipped things that were not God. And so they spent 40 years in the wilderness and didn't see or didn't step into the promised land. And so then and now, despite all of the blessings flowing in so many ways, uh, as we read in verse 23... Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. Despite all of that, despite all of God's blessings, whether it was the rains in Joel's time that proved God is faithful or Jesus who came to declare God's faithfulness and righteousness, God does what he says and showers every blessing on us, but so many turn away. And Jesus warned the people of his day too, the day of the Lord is coming. So be ready and be alert for it. As we heard from Rick when he was preaching, Jesus was worshipped on the road up to Jerusalem, but that same crowd were the ones who helped to kill Jesus. Let me read uh, from John chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So Jesus was there in front of the Israelites and the Jewish people, but they didn't recognize him. They killed him. And so it's the same, I think, for us and David Copperfield, some of you will know, is an illusionist, and he, he played an illusion with a 747 plane. And so the people that were there and the people watching on television, even though that huge plane was right in front of them, they couldn't see it. So what is it with people? Why can't we see the good things that God provides before us? Why can't we listen and take note and act on the warnings that were given about the bad things that are coming. It's true, isn't it, that the God of this age has really blinded us. And so, coming back to the passage, it seems still that notwithstanding God's blessings for the people, his restoration of the land, that there's still something missing. 
God is keeping his promises, his side of the covenant, supremely in the Lord Jesus, but we can't keep ours. Our hearts are stony and cold, and we fall away, like the Israelites did time after time. What we need is God himself with us 24-7, and he knows that, uh, because Ezekiel prophesied that. Let me read from Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart, says the Lord, and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And that is what is reiterated with the promise in our passage tonight. So let's turn back to it. Uh, and verse 28 and 29. Uh, Trevor, if we can have the first. What I'd, the way I'd probably summarize verse 28 and 29 are, these are the days of revelation. God will pour out his spirit and so that his people and we can know him personally. And in doing so, he has established a new order here on earth, socially and spiritually in, as we'll see, the form of the church. So turn back to page 914 of the Blue Bibles and let me read verse 28 and 29. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So God will act. God's spirit uh, will be sent by God for his people. And if we just step back a minute from the Old Testament, from this passage, before this time, God's spirit is evident and did act in creation. God's Spirit hovered over the waters during creation. God's Spirit empowered God's will and his purpose in the leaders that God chose in Moses and in Saul. And so this coming of the Spirit on all people is hugely significant, is the dawning of a new age. And verse 28 makes it clear, doesn't it, that God's Spirit would fall on sons and daughters equally, and the old and young equally. And verse 29 also, um, some translations sort of exclude the my, uh, but if we read servants as those um, serving the Israelites from outside of the community, then we see that the Spirit will fall on those people too, those outside the family welcomed in to share God's love, his Spirit. And make no mistake, when the Lord speaks through Joel. What he speaks through Joel is revolutionary and would have given the Israelites in, his t in their time great hope and joy coming on top of the promise as it was of their lands being restored, of their enemies being uh, defeated and sent away. What, what the Lord was promising was social and spiritual equality such as never been, had never been known. And he was also fulfilling Moses' desire. If you go back and look up after the service in Numbers 11, you'll find that after God shared Moses' burden with 70 elders, some people got a bit upset. And so Moses um, basically said, well, if only all of the people could have God's spirit on them. And so that's what is promised. That is what will happen when the Lord speaks in Joel. And of course... The people in Joel's time wouldn't see this. 
because it was afterwards, and we know, we know that they didn't see it in their time. And so the question for us is whether this outpouring of God's Spirit has happened already or not. The outpouring of the Spirit on the Israelites, the Jewish nation, is not obvious, is it? And yet when we read the New Testament, we see prophecies, dreams, and visions are clearly evident. Mary and Elizabeth prompted by the Spirit. And, uh, and Simeon at the temple, proving again that God's Spirit will fall equally on men and women and the young and the old. And of course, yes, that was to do with uh, the coming of Jesus. And so maybe similar to some of how the Spirit acted in the Old Testament. But after that, the Spirit came on a bunch of ordinary tradesmen from Galilee, Jesus' disciples in Acts chapter 2. And so afterwards, I think we can reasonably assume is from the coming of Christ as Jesus promised his disciples also that he would send God's Spirit. Let me read from Luke chapter 24. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And so Jesus reinforced the promise that God made through the prophet Joel. And Peter confirms it, doesn't he? Because he references Joel on the day of Pentecost. Uh, turn it up if you like. It's on page 1093 in Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Peter says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel when everybody wondered what was going on, all of them talking in different tongues and languages as they were uh, enabled by the Spirit. And so after that, Peter quoted directly from a passage tonight, and he recognized that this was the promise of God being fulfilled, the promise of Jesus to being fulfilled before their eyes and in their hearts. And so there's no doubt that God's spirit has been poured out and his promise has been fulfilled. And Peter says that in verse 33 of the passage of Jesus, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see, what you now see and hear. So this has happened, this outpouring of the Spirit. But what does it all mean, this spiritual activity? What are the dreams and the visions and the prophecies? Well, fundamentally, it's about a knowledge of God, of his will and his purposes. It echoes verse 27 of chapter 2, that you will know that I am God um, and that there is no other. This is something that the Spirit of God affirms and reassures us of. And it's not just collectively. Uh, it's now each of God's children will know this individually, which again must have been a great joy for the people in Joel's day. Uh, having just emerged from the dark days of the locust plague, which then expanded into a revelation of a much darker, more terrible day of judgment. To know God's true love and compassion in the giving of his spirit, the outpouring of his spirit. And in Acts 2, we also learn as well as the disciples reaving, uh, receiving the spirit when uh, Peter preached, when he spoke to the crowd and replied to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive uh, 
the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord God, will, Lord our God, will call. And so even on that one day, um, over 3,000 people confessed uh, their sins, trusted Christ, and received the Holy Spirit as they repented. And they were sealed on that day by God with his Spirit. And it's the same for us. The Spirit is light, revealing the darkness of our hearts, our sin. The Spirit guides us into truth through the words of Jesus, including the message of gospel salvation. The Spirit is our comforter through the valleys that we face in this life, the reassurance that we need in these last days. And he is the anchor of our faith in God. He provides what we're missing. So everything in Joel up till now was material blessing, confidence in the Lord. But now God's people have God's spirit in them 24-7. And so we're sealed and our faith can be reassured and renewed and we can be uh, refreshed by it, by him every day. And so that's what God's spirit does for us. We're living in days of revelation, but there's uh, not a greater, but an ultimate purpose in God pouring out his spirit too in verses 30 to 32. So let's move on to that. It's why Jesus is so concerned that his disciples should remain and wait in Jerusalem because Father God has deferred, but he has not cancelled the day of judgment when our sins, the sins of all people, will be weighed justly. He's relented from sending what we deserve because of his great mercy and love, not wanting one to be lost, but a day of judgment continues to hang over the world and everyone in it. And it will be everything and more terrible than you can possibly imagine. Just read back through chapters 1 and 2 about invasion, about destruction, about desolation. And remember, as Andrew reminded us, who leads that army? This is the Lord's army, as we read in chapter 2, verse 11. And the prophet cries out, who can endure it? And if we were to reference Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does, his right, does what is right and never sins. And so the answer to who can endure it is no one. Well, no one except those trusting in the blood of the Lamb, trusting in Jesus. Let me read verse 30 and 31 of chapter 2. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so although, as we'll come on to, uh, God has provided a way for deliverance, a way for men to be saved, the signs of that terrible day of the Lord, which will coming, is coming, are on full display in the heavens and the earth. And probably this passage is talking about something a bit more awesome than the FIFA Women's World Cup final in Sydney. It won't be, it may be blood and fireworks and billows of smoke, but 
this is different. This is more serious. This is speaking of the holiness of God, the blood of the lamb in Egypt, the pillar of fire in the desert, and Mount Sinai covered in thick cloud as God met with Moses. Revelation chapter 9 describes some of what it will be like. Um, Reading from verse 2, when he opened the, the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of the scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. And so, being no doubt, this day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, will be a great and terrible day. The sun turning to darkness echoes the day of darkness as we again studied this morning. The hours of darkness when Jesus hung on the cross, suffering God's judgment himself. And I think it's not difficult to imagine the two, the moon turned to blood would be the same in that the fire and the smoke of, from the destruction here be reflected in the blood red moon as I imagine it has been viewed on the island of Hawaii this past week. And we'll hear more about this as we get into chapter 3. And Jesus also spoke of these days. But the important thing, as we read in Revelation, is that God's Spirit is a seal for our protection and the courage to declare the day of the Lord. And so the purpose of the Lord speaking to us through Joel's prophecy is that for anyone who remains blinded by the God of this age, death and separation from the love of God awaits. Blood and fire and smoke will be the eternal weather forecast for those people. Uh, And this section of Joel really challenges us as to where we stand with God. Are we enjoying life with all its blessings but ignoring the provider of those blessings? Are we enjoying the trappings of life but ignorant of our sin and the judgment to come? Are we worried about the future and dreadful day and where the earth is heading but missing out on the hope that is also promised? And even maybe you're thinking you're okay, maybe you're a regular at church, but maybe that's a head knowledge and not a heart knowledge. Not one informed and turned to flesh by the Spirit of God. And that was me when I was, even when I was christened and confirmed. It wasn't until God's Spirit opened my eyes to the Christians around me at uni. And even after that, not until he prompted me to realize my own sin and the need to submit to Jesus, could I call out and claim his promise for myself. But the good news of verse 32 is that there is hope of deliverance if you're not already sealed by the Spirit. And if you are, it's a spur to share the good news before it's too late, as we heard from Kevin this morning. So we come to verse 32, the zenith of this passage in the book so far. Deliverance from the Lord's judgment for everyone who calls 
on the name of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. And I don't know if you noticed the three groups that were gathered together there, the survivors, the remnants uh, that the prophets spoke of, together with some perhaps from Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And for the Israelites in Joel's day, their presumption when they heard this was that they would be saved as they'd already called on God's name in repentance and he had relented. So the great and terrible day in their minds was for the other nations who would be defeated and destroyed. But as we've already heard, that was a wrong assumption. Not all of God's people were faithful to his covenant promise. Let me go back and read the rest of John, uh, those verses from, from John. Chapter 1, verses 11 to 13 this time. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God, which is by his spirit. And so God opened things up. And Paul confirms that in Romans 10. Let me just read verses 12 and 13. It says the same thing. It echoes the prophecy in Joel. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all those who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But we can't be saved unless we hear and believe this gospel message. And we can't understand it because we're blinded by the God of this age unless the Spirit of God prompts us. And we see this in the final words of chapter 2 as Joel records both the mystery and the supreme confidence that we can have as although it is us calling on the name of the Lord, it's the Lord who calls us to call on his name by this power of the Spirit poured on us. Did you see that? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. And so in coming to Jesus again, as we heard this morning, we exchange the cup of wrath that will be, that should be meted out to us on this great and terrible day of judgment for the cup of righteousness that we don't deserve. And yet that is the love that God has always had for us. And so working together, Jesus and the Spirit complete the Father's mission and provide the only way by which we can be saved in that great and dreadful day of the Lord. And also take note, I don't know if you noticed it, of the and in verse 32. Uh, because it will be too late if you wait for that day because it comes like a thief in the night without warning. And so be warned about this day. Um, but the message of Joel is to repent and rend our hearts before God and call on the name of the Lord now. Remember, Noah built the ark before it started raining. And the Israelites put the blood of the lamb around the doorpost before death visited. And so, 
For any who have not done so, I would encourage you to do the same with your trust in Jesus. And just by way of application, if you're here tonight or if you're listening uh, to the tape and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you've not appreciated that the great and terrible judgment day is still pending, but maybe you've now started to wonder how that's going to go for you personally, then I would urge you to listen to God's Spirit calling and call on the name of the Lord and be saved tonight. And I'm going to say a prayer for anyone who might be feeling that uh, shortly. If you're a regular here and might call yourself a Christian, if people ask, but are standing outside of a heart relationship with Jesus, one that can only come through recognizing your need of him for salvation and inviting him to be king of your life by the Spirit, then I'd urge you too not to delay but to pray. And if you're a Christian, these words take as reassurance. Rejoice in the blessings that the Lord showers on and around you each day and be thankful for his calling and his grace and mercy in the person of the Lord Jesus and in the outpouring of his Spirit. But don't leave it there. Serve the Lord in his church, in our mission, in your mission. And while he is patient and there is still time for all those facing the judgment to repent, make known this great gospel news. And so in closing, this passage is one of great hope and joy, notwithstanding the coming day of the Lord, because we are pale reflections of the heart of God and the passion and the energy and the time and the blessings that he showers on us. His son Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and his spirit, who calls us to call on the name of the Lord, gives us assurance, and his word gives us assurance that everyone who does will be saved. So we'll pray now, uh, and if you've heard the Lord speaking to you, prompting you, as I say, whether here or online, please just repeat the words in your heart, and God will do his part. Of that we can be sure. Dear Father God, I'm sorry that I've been living to please myself without any thought for you. I apologize for the way I've lived. I recognize I deserve your punishment. But thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place and to pay the penalty for all my sins. With your help, I am now changing the route that I've been following. From now on, I want my life to be all about Jesus, following him as my Lord. So please forgive me and accept me as your child. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit to help me live this new life. Amen.